Voyage. Hey, listeners of Fever Dreams. This is Dan Benamore, head of podcast for Voyage Media. Today we have for you the first episode of The Lion's Den, a new action thriller, crime, audio drama that we've produced. It's really a fascinating story. It's based on real events. A man is a drug smuggler, ends up finding God, wants to get out of smuggling drugs, can't get out of his relationship with the cartel, ends up going undercover for the DEA. If you enjoyed Sicario, Narcos, stories like that, we think you'll really enjoy this. But it has a real sense of soul to it that I think sets it apart. And it's also got just a banging sound design and soundtrack and music and just the whole the vibe of it. Very like Miami Vice, 80s, Michael Mann. We really are proud of it. We think you're going to enjoy it. Here is the first episode. Cold out there today. Looks like the sun's trying to peek through, though. Maybe we'll get lucky. They didn't tell me much about you, but I'd like to say a prayer. I hope that's all right. God, thank you for being here with us right now. We confess that we don't understand why things happen the way they do. We don't understand why illness comes into our lives, but we do know that you walk every path of life with us. Please remind our brother Paul that you are walking with him right now. Remind him that you love him no matter what he is going through. I also pray for Paul's family. Give them your strength as they care for Paul. God, we thank you that you never leave us, that you never forsake us, but you love us. We trust you and pray this in your name. Amen. Is your family here? Is your son? Good looking boy. Looks like he's about my son's age, Alex. He's gonna be 15 in June. He saved my life. He doesn't believe me. Maybe he would. He knew everything. He knows some. He knows I wasn't always right with the Lord. That I... That I've committed crimes. Done time. I don't know that I could tell him everything. Not even his mother knows everything. Hard to believe. I was barely older than him when I... I got kicked out of school for fighting. My dad was long gone, my mom worked two jobs, my older brother helped raise me, my brother and my sister, before he ended up in Nam. One night I heard my mom talking to a man she knew from California who owned 11% of a mining company in Sinaloa, Mexico. Eduardo. They were old friends. Good friends. Eduardo showed up on a Friday. And when he left on Monday, so did I. Two weeks later, I found myself in a mining camp in a small village called Gualtarillo, near Durango, Mexico. The place I'd call home for the next 18 months. I'd never left the country before, never even heard Spanish spoken before. There couldn't have been more than 200 people in Gualtarillo. I loved it. The people, the food. To me, it was the adventure of a lifetime, like something out of a book. After a few days, Eduardo was gone, and I was left in the care of Ruben, a man of few words, but kept one eye on me and a pistol on his hip at all times. The 
At first, I felt completely alone, except for Reuben and Pepito, the burrow I rode everywhere. Into town, up into the hills and canyons outside the camp. I became friendly with the locals who harvested poppies and mota, marijuana. Gradually learned enough Spanish to be able to communicate. Everywhere I went, I was welcomed warmly. Eventually, I realized it was because everyone was terrified of Reuben and knew I was under his protection. Then I met Ramon. His father, Miguel, was lifelong friends with Reuben. He was around my age and, like me, rarely went anywhere without a bodyguard. We became fast friends, talking baseball and girls, riding the trails, exploring his family's land, which seemed to stretch forever. I didn't think much of it, only that they were clearly well off. Had I known, I... It would have explained why girls from the village showed up at their ranch every weekend. I figured it was because me and Ramon were cool guys. I'd later learned they were gifts from the villagers to Don Miguel, the head of one of the biggest drug cartels in Mexico. At the time, I had no idea I was being sized up to become part of the organization. I had little ambition besides trying to convince one of the weekend senoritas to fall in love with me. But Ramon had been born into this life, and his ambition was far greater. Veronica, man. I'm telling you, we don't have girls that beautiful in the States. You fall in love too easily, Gringo. Think she would come back to Seattle with me? You're crazy. What are you going to do with a wife? I didn't say I was going to marry her. So then she becomes your maid and also maybe your sex slave? Come on, man. She's a nice girl. Relax. I'm just messing with you. Hey, Don Juan. Check it out. What am I looking at? Mota? Lots and lots of mota. Not just the mota. One day, all of these will be mine. Really? See? You're going to inherit everything? (laughs) I'm going to take it. Over the next year, I saw Ramon less frequently. The family business was based in Culiacan, and it became all-consuming. When it was time for me to go back to Seattle, Don Miguel hosted a great feast in the village in my honor. I didn't want to leave. To me, I was already home. After Mexico came the army. Fort Polk, Tigerland, hell on earth. Things were drawn down in Nam, so I got sent to Germany, 8th Infantry Division. Broke my foot in a parachute jump, so they trained me to fight the KGB. Till I got shipped back to a VA hospital in the States with hepatitis and an honorable discharge. I went and got my GED, but had no idea what I was going to do with my life. So I decided to go home. To Walter Rio. It really was like visiting family. I learned Ramon was off in business school studying finance. But Ruben was still there. Over a few cervezas, he introduced me to a friend from L.A., this guy, Antonio. Like Don Miguel, he'd grown up in Culiacan. When I met him, he was in Walterio trying to put together a deal to run weed stateside. After a few more cervezas, I agreed to come back to Walterio with a car and 800 bucks, half the seed money needed to purchase 80 kilos of mota. Antonio and I were officially partners. A month later, as I approached the border sitting on 80 keys hidden compartments retrofitted into the car, I tried to suppress the adrenaline shooting through my body while remembering everything Reuben and his guys told me. Deodorant on exposed skin to keep sweat from forming, sunglasses not too dark, 
Look the agent in the eyes while answering questions. Above all, keep calm. When they finally waved me through, I didn't take my foot off the gas till I hit LA. I was on such a high. Between guys Antonio knew and I knew, the weed went fast. Within days, we'd turned our 1,600 into 80,000. I couldn't wait to make another run. We were in business, and business wasn't just good, it was incredible. There was only so much mota to be had in Walter Rio, so we gradually expanded our contacts into Sinaloa, Guadalajara. Increasingly, we found ourselves up against the homegrown industry, as Northern California introduced a superior product. Our advantage was pricing. NorCal Bud ran three times the cost of our Mexican weed. By the end of the 70s, I was riding too high and fast on the rush to see what was coming. There he is. Smooth run? Like butter. You got time for a cold one? Just one. Uh, <laughs> hey, listen. I know you just got back, but Ramon wants to see you. Little Ramon? He's in LA? <laughs> no, man. Culiacan. Ramon's the boss. You go to him. The boss? What are you talking about? Don Miguel's the boss. Don Miguel's in prison, bro. Ramon took over the whole business. Well, shit. Yeah, el jefe de los jefes. Guess you knew what you were doing when you guys were tight back in Walterio. The thing is, I didn't. But I soon realized Ramon did. I took the first flight out the next morning. Ramon and I caught up over dinner. It was like no time had passed. Except for the fact that I was now a smuggler and he the head of one of the biggest cartels in Mexico. Well, I know you didn't come all this way just for chile relleno. Honestly, I might have. That was an amazing meal. Our business is changing, amigo. Marijuana is out. Not in California. Everybody I know smokes grass. <laughs> well, today, maybe. The future belongs to cocaine. I'm gonna take control of the Tijuana Plaza. And then, we will be able to ship hundreds of kilos a month across the border. When you say we... Within a year. Thousands. I don't know if you've read up on the laws in my country, but the penalties for cocaine are no joke. It ain't like here where you can just slip them a hundred bucks. I'm talking 20 years. Have you ever been caught? Of course not. But cocaine, man? That is a whole different ball game. Precisely, amigo. In baseball, there are the minor leagues and the major leagues, right? Yeah. And if a player proves himself in the minor leagues, he gets, uh, what's the word? Called up. See, he gets called up. Marijuana is the minor league. You're calling me up to the major leagues of drug smuggling. I am. I just got one question. Why me? Because we've known each other since we were muchachos. Seems like forever ago, man. That's how long I've been planning this. Ramon wanted to establish a foothold on the Pacific Northwest, Sacramento all the way up through Canada and on into Alaska. And so that's what we did. It was the 80s, after all, the era of excess. Reagan and the war on drugs, malls and music videos, yuppies and nightclub culture. 
Everybody and their grandmother snorting up everything they could get their hands on. Basically an unlimited demand for what we were supplying. But if marijuana and coke were two different highs, same held true for the players involved. All my years running weed, I never carried a piece. It was all hugs and handshakes. Suddenly there's AKs and Uzis. I'm arming drivers, hiring enforcers, security, not to mention all the lawyers. More money, more problems. Luckily, I never developed a taste for coke, only what it could yield. Unlike Randy. When I met her, she was bartending at this place out by the airport. She says it was love at first sight. I always tease her, sure, if it meant you and the coke. Thanks, Randy. Harold, right? My friends call me Hal. So what should I call you? Anything you like. Yeah? How about Lowrider? That is your Harley out there, the 78? Yeah. Nice ride. I dated a guy who owned an 81, the Sturgis. I always wanted to feel what an original was like. <laughs> that line? I don't know, did it sound like one? Bet you've heard them all. You'd think so. Once in a while, some guy manages to surprise me. It's the best one you ever heard. <laughs> Probably. I like my bartenders like I like my mimosas. Bottomless. Did it work? Do I look like the kind of girl who's into guys who drink mimosas? <laughs> I guess not. I need something stronger, you know? That a fact. So the word on the street is you're the man. Yeah? I mean, that's what I heard. The man. People talk, you know? Guess they do. <sighs> Shit, I'm sorry. What for? I, I didn't mean... One of the barbacks told me you hooked him up with an eight ball last week. Ah, uh, so you heard I'm the guy. See, originally you said you heard I was the man. The man. Very different from the guy. Trouble. That's what I'm going to call you. I didn't even know what my life was missing till I met Randy. She was an addict, but she was someone I could trust. I didn't love what Coke did to her, but I loved what she did for me. She made me want to be a better man. Gave me a reason to keep my personal and business life separate. She knew Antonio was my business partner. She knew we moved product. I told her the less she knew, the better. And she believed me. I'd take her out whenever Antonio was in town with whatever girl he was with, especially Gloria. She and Glow got to be like sisters for a while until, well, anyway. Me and Randy ended up getting married in Mexico. It was an amazing time. Randy was happy, our customers were happy, Ramon was happy. I thought it would last forever. Twenty by twenty. Slopes look pretty pure to me. Let me just get my lift ticket. It all came crashing down in the summer of 84. By the time the judge sentenced me to 10 years, all I remember thinking is he might as well have given me life. I would never survive a decade in a cage, especially not in Folsom. Folsom Prison in the 80s was notoriously violent and extremely territorial. When word got out that I was connected to the cartels, the Mexican Mafia looked out for me. That and the fact my record made it clear I wasn't cooperating with law enforcement were the keys to my staying alive. 
But meanwhile, my body had other ideas. You're so thin. And your skin. What are they doing to you, Hal? Doc says hepatitis C. They've got to get you out of here. You've got to see somebody. I'm trying, Randy. You look good. 37 days. Two meetings a week. Wish I could be there. No, you don't. Trust me. I joined a Bible study group on Wednesdays. One day at a time. You and me both. I'm proud of you, baby. Listen, I've been thinking. You didn't sign up for all this. I don't know, maybe it's... Maybe it's better if you... What are you saying? I'm saying if you got a walk, I wouldn't hold it against you. When we were on our honeymoon, that guy who came up to us at the bar, the one you said was a lawyer, he was on the news. They said he was responsible for at least 11 murders, including a mother and her two kids. Beheaded. That stuff only happens in Mexico. That kind of thing doesn't happen here. You can't promise me that. Randy. We entered into a covenant, and I have no intention of breaking it. But if we're going to get through this, if we're going to survive this, I need to know there is something worth coming out the other side for. I need to know there's a plan, Hal. I'm working on it. I'll figure something out, I promise. The truth was, I was completely lost. The walls were closing in, the state and the feds kept trying to cut deals with me. But there was a code, an unspoken one I'd agreed to when I first became a narco-trafficante. They would have to break me before I ever broke it. And then, on October 19th, 1987, at three o'clock in the afternoon, I found Jesus. Or rather, he found me. A lifelong sinner, down on his knees in the concrete floor of a prison cell. And he forgave me. People have asked me to describe the moment of my transformation, but words can't really explain such an anointing. All my guilt, my anger, my pain left my body in that moment. I was truly born again. Five days later, I was rushed onto a transport plane and flown to the Federal Medical Center in Springfield, Missouri. My liver was shutting down. I was listed as terminal. They asked if I wanted to volunteer for an experimental drug called Alpha Interferon 2B. I had nothing to lose, but if it worked, there was so much I wanted to do that I needed to do. I'd never been a believer in miracles, but after three months of injections, I was cured. I was moved off the medical ward, took a job counseling inmates, and then accepted an offer to train and be certified in prison hospice. Devoted the next 18 months to hospice and to my seminary studies and eventually became an ordained pastor. I found my calling, my true calling, the work I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I was afforded an early release in 1990, and my plan was to open an antique shop. A hobby and a dream I'd flirted with before everything went sideways. It would allow me to start fresh while building my ministry. But I knew it was only a matter of time before the cartel reached out. I just didn't think it would be so soon. Antonio invited me to Las Vegas to celebrate my freedom. Just the two of us. I could tell something was off from the jump. You sure you don't want a drink? How many times are you gonna ask me that? You're making me nervous. I'm making you nervous. What are we doing here, man? What do you mean? I I'm just... 
Listen, you're my friend. You're my brother. I haven't seen you in forever. I thought we'd have a good time, you know? Some drinks, a couple shows, a few laughs. I figure after what you've been through, you deserve it. So this is my consolation prize. Steak, slots, and a Siegfried and Roy. It ain't like that, bro. Everybody down south knows you did your time. Yeah. And what about you, Antonio? What's that supposed to mean? Do you still trust me? How long do we go back? Do you trust me? I started to think maybe Ramon felt he couldn't afford to trust me. Maybe he'd given Antonio orders to take me out. Are you asking me if I think you... What? Gave something up? That somehow, somewhere along the way, you said something to someone? There's nobody in this life I trust more than you, hermano. Nobody. Then act like it. Tell me what's really going on. I watched his hand lift toward the inside of his jacket, before his eyes flipped toward the ceiling. Not here. What? You worried the security cameras are wired for sound? Let's get some air. They pump O2 into this place 24-7. You're telling me the air out there is better than in here? Would you stop being such a pain in the ass? Come on. I got something to show you. Out in the parking lot. This was it. This is how it had to go down. I was glad it was him. Okay. Let's go out into the parking lot. The Lion's Den is a production of Voyage Media. The series is produced by Nat Mundell, Robert Midas, Dan Benamore, and Garrick Dion. Executive produced by Dr. Hal Bradley and Victor Mojica. Written and directed by Garrick Dion, based on the pilot by Chuck Hussmeyer, and the book, A Fox in the Lion's Den, by Dr. Hal Bradley. You can find the book and all of Dr. Hal Bradley's books at drhalbradley.com or on Amazon. Links are in the show notes. Starring Matt Horn as Hal. Additional cast credits available in the show notes. Edited, sound designed, and mixed by Nick Missitti. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you're listening, and subscribe now for future episodes. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Hey there, we're dm to gm I'm your DM from Dungeons & Dragons, Russ Moore. And I'm your GM from The End of Time and Other Bothers, Sean Howard. What we like to do around here is answer the questions that you have about tabletop RPGs and get you started feeling comfortable playing games around your table. We want to share our real experiences, what we've learned, what's been helpful, so that other people can get going. And because and a lot of these hurdles are just in their head. So find us every other week wherever you listen to podcasts or visit dm to gmcom dm to gm Get your game started. All right, I hope you enjoyed that. If you want to hear the rest of the episodes of The Lion's Den, just search for The Lion's Den from Voyage Media anywhere you listen to podcasts.